you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I actually preached on verse 4 Sunday morning, and last week we looked at uh, verses 1 through 3, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 this evening, and uh, we'll see how far we get there. Um, I've got uh, I'm ready for us to go further than that, certainly, but I don't want to uh, overload you. And uh, so I'm going to read this from the New International Version, and that will appear, if you're if uh, you're watching the stream, that will appear right here. And those of you that are in here, the New International Version will appear right up here on this screen, right? So let's take a look at this scripture. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have announced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those that are, uh, who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ." So as I made plain on Sunday morning, um, God is transcendent. He's far beyond us. He's utterly otherly. And so if you and I are ever going to experience God, it is going to be because he chooses to reveal himself to us. Uh, This is the verse. On Sunday morning, I adjusted my notes, and I put this verse in my notes so that I wouldn't have to go looking it up. And then the version of my notes that I opened up on this laptop was not the same version, and so voila, the verse wasn't there. But I remembered the, the salient points, which is that God dwells in unapproachable light and that he is the only one that is uh, um, in, immortal, okay? But here's the verse. This is 1 Timothy six fifteen and 16. It says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So in our time, we focus a great deal on the imminence of God, right? So God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's chosen to make himself known because of Christ and through the Holy Spirit, but we need to understand that God in his essence is unapproachable. He's has never been seen. He won't be seen. He's chosen to reveal himself through his only begotten son, Jesus, who, and I'm, I quoted these verses Sunday morning, but uh, it bears repeating, uh, Jesus, it says, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. That's Hebrews 1.3. He's the image of the invisible God. That's Colossians 1.15. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's Colossians 2.9. And then John 1.18, no one has ever seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. He has made him known. 
we are only going to know God as he chooses to be known, and that is through Jesus. Jesus who said, I and the Father are one. Now, uh, as I said at the end of the message on Sunday morning, um, Christ's incarnation, becoming a man, and his resurrection provide the way for God's image to be repaired in us, to be restored in us, right? We're made in God's image, but that image is broken and it needs to be restored. And only through Christ is that restored. Well, how does that happen? That happens because we, as we behold Christ, as we look upon Christ, we become increasingly transformed into that same image. Remember what it just said in the scripture. Um, I'm going uh, to take a look at this in the, um, the uh, English Standard Version. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, okay? So God is three persons, one God, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we say Jesus in our heart, it is the Spirit who brings the Son into our heart. As we're filled with the Spirit, he points to the Son. He shapes us and molds us and makes us more like the Son, Jesus. As we look to Jesus, as we follow Jesus, we are increasingly formed into that image, right? And that's how the image of God is repaired in each one of us. Now, the Apostle Paul is contrasting this with these false teachers that had come into Corinth who were preaching uh, doctrine other than uh, the doctrine of Christ, right? They had all sorts of other ideas. You know, if you, if you go to just about any church, um, they have pet doctrines, right? Uh, denominations have denominational distinctives. They're not necessarily wrong, but they emphasize certain things and may overemphasize certain things, um, discounting others in the process, perhaps unintentionally. So, you know, uh, if you go to an assemblies church or Pentecostal church, much is said uh, about um, tongues, for example. If you go to uh, churches that are, um, are, have a Calvinistic bent, then there's a whole lot said about predestination. This was traditionally Presbyterian churches, but there are a lot of other Reformed churches. They focus on that idea, okay? There are churches that focus on dispensationalism. You know, those that, that read out of the, the Ryrie Study Bible or the Schofield Reference Edition. You know, this is, uh, you may or may not know what I'm talking about here, but what I'm trying to say is that there can be a tendency to overemphasize certain doctrines and ideas at the expense of doctrine that is more important, which in this case is that we follow Jesus. And that's what I said on Sunday morning uh, the essence of that message was that we need to focus on Christ. We need to come back to Jesus. We need to make our focus him. If you are filled with the Spirit, he's going to point you to Christ. And then Christ is going to point you to a, a relationship with the Father. That's just the unselfish nature of the Trinity, of God. That's the way he is, right? There's not this, you know, me, 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 even within the Trinity, 
right? So the Apostle Paul said, in keeping with that unselfish idea, we, what we proclaim, he said, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your, ser- as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's uh, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. Um, Dr. David Garland in the New American Commentary writes about this verse, to preach oneself is to vaunt one's superior qualifications, to put on airs, and to turn the throne of Christ into a soapbox from which to spout one's own pet themes and biases. No one is immune from the temptation to manipulate ministerial relationships to build a following rather than to build up a congregation or to exploit uh Relationship, excuse me, to re- exploit the gospel's drama, pathos, solemnity, and majesty for the display of one's own powers, one's ability, eloquence, humor, learning, gifts of popular exposition. Some ministers may do this in blatant and crude ways. Others may do it in more subtle and refined ways. Um, another uh, commentator named Cranfield observes how often is that which is hailed as a successful ministry little more than success in winning a personal following. Goodness, friends, that's exactly what we see today. The temptation to preach ourselves is fed by congregations who are prone to like to be entertained and to enjoy a minister's self-exhibition and are prone to indulge in a personality cult. Certainly, Corinth was such a congregation rallying around and exaggerating the importance of their ministerial heroes. Go all the way back to 1 Corinthians, if you remember. They were dividing and saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. And Paul said, what? That's not the way it is. We're all focusing on Jesus. We're all supposed to be following Christ. But the, you know, in our multi-denominational world and in our personality-centered world, uh, self-promotion is, is rife. And in the age of social media, that's definitely gone to seed. So gospel preaching and, and teaching must be free of me and full of thee, right? Um, a recent release, uh, a uh, worship song, by Elevation Worship, which, by the way, is a good worship band, and I do like them. But it has a song, and in the song, the worship leader repeats over and over again, it's me, it's me, it's me. If you're sitting singing a worship song, and the refrain you repeat is, it's me, it's me, it's me. Who are you worshiping? Who are you praising right now? Now, the fellow who's singing that to his credit is trying to help people to say, it's me that God loves, and I understand the feeling. But we're in, you know, baby boomers were called the me generation, right? You know, we're that to an exponent now. We're the me, 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 me generation. It's, that's all we want to think about, right? Um, the intent can be good, but we end up focused on ourselves. We end up staring at ourselves, taking constant selfies up, and and not putting our attention on the Lord at all. I, I question the approach of constantly focusing on self, even if the motive is to say, no, Jesus loves me. I've got to say that he loves me. If I focus my attention on Jesus, I'll know he loves me. 
What I need to do is get my eyes off of me altogether. I need to stop focusing on me. I need to stop taking pictures of me. I need to stop looking in the mirror and worrying about me all the time. I need to become a God-centered person, a theocentric, a Christocentric person. Listen to uh, the Apostle Paul as he prays in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Uh, This is the New American Standard Bible uh, translation. He says, For this reason I bend my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be able to be filled to all the fullness of God. So he, the Apostle Paul is saying the same thing that this worship leader was trying to get people to say. Look at how much God loves you, but look at the difference. Okay, he says, I, I, I pray that you would have the capacity, right, the capability to even begin to understand how much God loves you. But the focus is on Jesus, not me, me, me. So we also have Bible teachers who are telling people whatever they want to hear. And this is the best way, of course, to gain followers and donors. Uh, These teachers may not even believe that the Bible is God's word or that Jesus is God's son. Um, You know, I I could give you names of of preachers today, um, but I'll use one from some time ago. Uh, There was a fellow that was a very popular preacher years and years ago who wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez. I don't know if anybody remembers this. His name was Bruce Wilkinson. And uh, a fellow that I'm going to mention in just a moment, who incidentally has turned away from the Lord now, but um, this fellow made a comment at the time. uh, The fellow that I'm referring to was with a worship band, and it was kind of the beginning of the end for that worship band. This is the early 2000s when that whole, or late 90s, early 2000s, when that whole Prayer of Jabez thing was popular. And he said that Bruce Wilkinson spoke for 90 minutes about the prayer of Jabez and never mentioned Jesus one time. Okay. The prayer of Jabez is that whole, you know, uh, increase my territory, make me wealthier, and I don't want to do harm to anybody. Me, me, me. Increase my territory. Make me wealthier. Protect me. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want anybody to hurt me. It's all about me, 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 me. This is appealing to people, right? So um, the prophet uh, Isaiah says this to those who want to hear these sorts of messages. He says, this is how they think. People just want to talk about me, hear about me, you know, in the early 2000s, hear the prayer of Jabez, whatever. They would say something on the, or uh, that would be along the, the lines of, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak, speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. We don't want to hear about repentance. We don't want to hear about faith. We want to hear about how God wants to give us what we want 
and how God wants to bless us. So there are ministers who realize that. They're very cunning, and they simply give people what they want to hear. Now, I don't like to, I, I mentioned Wilkinson because he's really not in the popular uh, uh, world any longer, but there are plenty of ministers today who are on radio and television and online who follow this same pattern. And they're very much like these folks that had come to Corinth who were trying to get uh, followers for themselves. But the Apostle Paul said, we're not preaching about ourselves. Right? This is verse 5, reading it again. (coughs) For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants, but not for your sake, for Jesus' sake. (coughs) So, that's how God's ministers ought to be operating. Then there are preachers who present a message that is little more than an extension of themselves. While the message may be framed in biblical language, it is not about Jesus, but it's about the messenger. Such egotistical evangelists come in many forms and diverse styles. They may be hardcore Calvinists or booming Pentecostal preachers with an Arminian bent. They may be old school screamers or new age talkers or rock star youth evangelists, or celebrity pastors selling books and selling out conferences. Listen, man, just because the guy stands up there in, you know, in ripped jeans and talks in you know, current lingo doesn't mean he's preaching the gospel, right? Or she, for that matter. Um, there are a number of uh, high-profile Christians who um, were self-promoters in their day okay? Because that's what these folks are. They're, they're really preaching themselves. They're promoting themselves. It's their brand that they're building up. And in the age of social media, that's really a big thing, that you build your brand, right? It's something that I'm obviously terrible at. Uh, but, you know, you build your brand. You build your audience. And if you look at the most popular podcasts and um, TikTok and YouTube and Twitch and Twitter, and we're on all of these. And, you know, uh, yeah, I don't have much of a following on any of them. Uh, We just have it out there so the people that are not here can listen. But if you you look at the the folks that have the, the biggest following, they're not saying anything consequential. Pretty typically, it's just bubble gum and, you know, cotton candy. It's, and sometimes it's, you know, really, really poisonous, some of the things that they're teaching. But something that I, I was looking into today, um, going back to this time period that I'm referring to when Wilkinson had written the prayer of Jabez, there were a couple of worship bands that were out at the time um, that were very, very, well, I say worship bands, Christian bands, but I remember them, we played them in our, uh, in our church we played some of their songs. Our worship band played some of their songs, for example. Um, anyway, there was, there was one band called Jars of Clay, very popular in the mid-'90s to the late-'90s. There was another ma- band named Cademan's Call. They were very popular in the late-'90s through the early-2000s, okay? Um, so let's take an example of Cademan's Call. Um, you have these folks that this is pre-social media, but, you know, their music was good. People liked their music, and, you know, they were, they were well-promoted, okay? Um, 
there was a, a singer and writer. Cademan's Call had multiple singers. They were very uh, harmony-based. But there was a, a singer-writer by the name of Derek Webb, who is now an outspoken, wait for it, atheist. And he's got his own website where he preaches his new anti-gospel. You see, it seems he just wanted to talk and he wanted people to pay attention to him. Things didn't go the way he wanted them to go, so he turned away from Jesus and now he wants everybody to turn away from Jesus. So what I'm thinking is, Derek, you just wanted people to pay attention to you and you still want people to pay attention to you. And we need to be preaching Jesus. Amen? Going another direction, in about this same time period, again, I was looking at this time period, um, the uh, late, I was in youth ministry. Well, we started this church in 99, but I was in youth ministry in the, the Jars of Clay era. And I thought they were a great band. I was never in love with them. Uh, Cademan's Call, I mean, yeah, like I said, our band did a couple of their songs. I was never overly in love with them, uh, one way or the other. But there was an author back then who wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. His name was Joshua Harris. And I really taught our kids um, during that time period um, to understand love in such a way that they approach dating in a friendship, right? Uh, I, in fact, I even called it friendship dating. Well, this fellow went a step further and just said, no dating at all, right? I kissed dating goodbye, and he wrote this book. And then later he wrote another book, uh, I, ge- I Gave Dating an, you know, a tr- Another Try or something like that. And then he was the pastor of a megachurch. And now, wait for it, he is an atheist. Yay! Me, 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 Buy my book, buy my CD, you know, my DVD, and subscribe and likes and... Friends, it's about Jesus, Right? If your focus is on you and building a brand and building an audience, then you just need something to get people's attention, okay? This is, this is politicians. You may think your politician, you know, is going the right direction, but your politician may just be trying to get votes. In fact, likely is trying to get votes. Um, all right, let's go to the next verse. For God who set, said, I read this verse earlier, but now we'll comment on it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So when he says, God said, let light shine out of darkness, that's Genesis 1, right? Okay, let there be light. That's that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is referring to. Without light, there would be no knowledge. There would be no knowledge of anything. Can you imagine a world without light? Have you ever gone into one of those caves? Okay, there's a, I don't even, can't remember the name of it. There's a, a cave. You go toward, um, I don't know if it's on the other side of Austin, but it's as you go toward San Antonio, there's, cave, there's some caves that are right there. San Marcos. Huh? San Marcos. San Marcos. So you go down, right? You take this little tram, tram this little train down, into the earth, and you get down in there, 
And of course, they have lamps everywhere. It's lit and it's really cool. They got the stalactites and the stalagmites, and you know, hey, don't go over there because that goes down so far that you know you'll still be falling tomorrow, type of thing. But what they will do when you're down there is they will turn the light off. You have never experienced darkness until you've been in a cave like that. Because even when it's dark, there's some light. There's no light at all. The, it's so dark, it, you can feel the dark. It's like it presses in on you. That's no light. God here, right, is obviously he created light. But here the idea is he is the source of all genuine knowledge, okay? In fact, that's a, the very first Bible verse that we teach our karate kids um, is Proverbs 1-7. And they all, all my karate kids know that because from the first day they're in class, we quote Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And there's another proverb that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So God is the source of that knowledge. Jesus is the source of revelation. There's another way of looking at light, right? Revelation. He's the source of our revelation of God. Apart with God, apart from Christ, excuse me, we have no clear revelation of God. Every proposition is speculation about a being who is so far removed from our limited experience. There's no referent for God. He's utterly otherly. He's completely transcendent. We can know something about him because of the creation, right? That's what um, uh, Romans 1, 19 and 20 says. For what may be known about God is, is plain within them, for God has made it plain to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made, so they're without excuse. So we have the idea of this God that has eternal power and who is a designer and creator, but we don't know him. We can't know him personally. We can't have a relationship with him except through Christ. So when Jesus came into the world, the lights came on. God is revealed in the person of Christ, period doesn't make sense to talk about God apart from Jesus. There's a prophecy in Isaiah that is often quoted, and you'll hear it again in the next couple of months because it's often quoted during Christmas season, and it testifies that Messiah will be the light to shine upon those in darkness. And here it is. This is Isaiah 9-2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Well, that light was Jesus, right? In fact, in this very prophecy in Isaiah, it even refers to the, the region of Galilee where Jesus first started his ministry. Um, Jesus self-identified as the light of the world. Remember that? Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he followed it up by saying, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So when those lights go off in that cave, you don't know where to look. But I'm guaranteeing you, if anybody in that cave lit a match, everybody's eyes would go right to that match, right? And obviously, if somebody had a flashlight and, you know, we needed to be led out of that cave, you're following that person, right? <coughs> I'm putting my hand on their shoulder is what I'm doing because they're the only one with a light, and I don't want to fall off in one of those chasms. But people today are walking around in the darkness. The sad thing is, you know, they're 
as Jesus taught the Pharisees at the end of the story of the man born blind in John chapter 9, you know, they're blind, right? They figured out that Jesus was talking about them, the Pharisees did, after he healed the man born blind. And they said, well, you're not saying that we're blind, are you? And Jesus said, if you admitted your blindness, you could be healed. But since you say we see, you remain blind, right? And then Jesus you know, gave another example. He said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Both will fall into a pit. And that's exactly what we see happening today. The blind are leading the blind, but they're so proud of it. They're so proud of their blindness. They're woke. They've got knowledge. They've got understanding. They know where they're going, right? Well, Jesus provided a way for human beings to discover and understand the created order, so he's provided a means for us to know himself. As we already observed, that is through Christ. The, this knowledge of God is not academic knowledge, not just a bunch of facts, right? But it's existential, it's experiential. It comes into the heart via the Holy Spirit's presence. The actual presence of God can come into the middle of your being. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is not physical, but it is spiritual. God speaks to the heart, and this should not be oversimplified to mean feelings. Today, when we say, you know, I feel it in my heart, it's the, the heart is just the idea is feelings. But in the Hebrew thinking, it's a much broader concept. They didn't have, <clears throat> have this idea that you and I have of the brain, okay? Thinking was in the heart. The heart is central. It's the center of you, right? The heart is where your spirit is. The Holy Spirit communes and communicates with you through your spirit, not through your brain. Now, that doesn't mean that your brain is not employed. And I'm not talking about your blood pumper. I'm saying the center of your being, and I'm pointing here because this is the center, right? Pumps all the blood through our entire body and so forth. But the Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit. There's an interaction there, right? And you can say this in a lot of ways. It, you can interpret it with words. Uh, I was reading an article. Actually, it was, it's from a book that Dallas Willard wrote. And he was talking about how God speaks to you. And I thought he's a, he's a, he was a philosopher. He passed away in, I think, 2014. But he was a philosopher, so he's very, very brilliant. He said, the way thoughts are formed when you, you know, when there's communication, okay? Right now, I am forming words through my vocal cords. They're coming out my mouth, and sound waves are going out, and they're coming in through your ears, and they're hitting your eardrum. Your eardrum is vibrating, and that is interpreted as electrical impulses that go into your brain. And you're hearing words. Isn't that cool? The Holy Spirit moves on your spirit and creates these thoughts. And this is why we need to be steeped in the Scripture, because we create our own thoughts as well. And that's how you discriminate the voice of God from your own voice, right? But... The same process, just moving from within, happens as in similar to the process that is moving from without. 
I've never heard the voice of God as an audible voice, but I sense the Lord directing me all the time in little ways and in big ways. And sometimes I doubt. I'm like, well, I'm not sure if that's the Lord or not. But if I'm in doubt, I'm going to go the direction that I think is probably the Lord. I'm going to go the direction that agrees with the, with the word of God. And if it's, if it's neither here nor there, my conscience is going to afflict me until I do what I'm supposed to do, right? The Spirit speaks to you. The question is, are you listening? Or is it, as we said earlier, like that veil that separates the revelation of God from the unbelieving world, the God of this world, right, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see this glory of Christ. The veil was between Moses and the people of Israel so that they couldn't see the, the person who was revealing the word to them. If you don't put faith in Jesus, full faith in Jesus, then everything I'm saying right now is going to sound like a bunch of nonsense. But if you put your faith in Jesus, I'm not even asking you to put your faith in me. I'm asking you to put your faith in Jesus. Then every time the word is taught or preached, it creates knowledge within you. It creates an opportunity for faith within you. The Spirit wants to speak to you every single day and give you guidance and give you direction. At the most rudimentary level, just think of it this way. You have a conscience, right? And your conscience pushes you to do what's right and to turn away from, what, from what's wrong. In a very natural sense, this is what we're talking about. But it's much more um, nuanced than that. The Holy Spirit is able to give you direction that is more than just, no, don't do that, yes, do that, right? There's a constant interaction between you and the Lord throughout the day, right? The heart is used widely in Hebrew thought. It may represent the mind. It is the place where decisions are made. In our day, we see this all happening in the brain, and so we locate such activity in our heads. The heart, however, represents something more and other than the organ that pumps blood to the body. Instead, as it is used here, the word heart is used here and elsewhere in the Bible, the heart is the core or center of being. It is here where the divine and the human interact, where the Holy Spirit resides. When we say we have Jesus in our heart, it's the Holy Spirit that's living there, bringing Jesus into our heart. And it's where the Holy Spirit communicates with my spirit. It's where I have communion with God. That is why we say that Jesus lives in the heart of a believer. In the, in the letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul writes this. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, actually, I already read this. This is, uh, this is where the Apostle Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that in accordance with the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He talks about <clears throat> the... Uh, God will reveal through his spirit the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Jesus was and is a real person, not merely a character in some story. This is a way of saying the glory of God in the person of Christ. The glory of God is seen in the historical Jesus who disturbed the, the dust of Galilee and walked on the marble paved streets of Jerusalem. And the same glory is in the Holy Spirit who brings Christ into the heart of the believer. Glory... And this is interesting. In the Old Testament, 
there are two words for glory. You may be more familiar with one because it is more often preached, um, and it's Shekinah. You heard a preacher talk about the Shekinah glory, right? That shines. But you know what the word that is used more often? Kabod. And it means weight. As it reminds me of, you know, there's a few, well, most of, yeah, all of us down here, except for Autumn, we're all old. Um, so everybody will know what I'm talking about. Do y'all remember late 60s, early 70s? And, uh, you know, we were young back then. Oh, wow. Okay. And you would hear this phrase, oh, man, that's heavy. That's heavy, man. It's got weight. God's got weight. Right? So these are, Hebrew terms are very interesting because they're, um, uh, they're very concrete. Shining, something that shines and gets your attention and brings light to your eyes. Or something that's it's heavy, it's weighty. You understand that. Right? That's Jesus. That's why Jesus' name is so powerful. That's why Jesus, at Jesus' name, the demons flee, man. So, you know, anytime someone rebukes the devil, you don't just say, I rebuke you, devil. The devil's just going to bare his teeth and laugh at you. No. In the name of Jesus, that's because he's the one that has the power. The demons immediately would manifest and speak out in the presence of Jesus. And when Jesus would say, go, they went. In fact, if you remember that story uh, about the demon-possessed man in the graveyard, when Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and they got off on the other side, and there was a man that <clears throat> was so demon-possessed that they actually chained him up in a graveyard. But he had this supernatural strength and he just would break the chains and he would just run around screaming in the graveyard. What happens when Jesus shows up? This guy runs up to Jesus and attacks him? No, he bows down at his feet. And Jesus says, what's your name? He's not talking to the guy. He's talking to the demon. A fallen angel, or in this case, angels, who followed Satan, turning away from God, just like these apostate former believers are turning away from God today. And <clears throat> they're on earth wreaking havoc everywhere. <clears throat> he threw himself down at Jesus' feet. Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he says, legion, for we are many. Guys, a Roman legion was between four and 6,000 soldiers. That should tell you how broad your soul is, by the way. So now, you know, perhaps the, the demon was exaggerating. Satan does lie. But there was certainly enough demons so that they begged Jesus not to send them to the abyss, right? This place we see in Revelation where demons are essentially controlled and locked up until the end. Yeah, there was a herd of pigs feeding on the, the hillside, so obviously this is a Gentile region, not a Jewish region. And send us into the swine. So he says, go. There's this huge herd of swine. 
and they immediately are driven by these demons off the edge of a cliff and into the water. And the reason for that for, is for our sake, so that we could understand, okay, perhaps old Legion there was exaggerating to some degree, but not that much, right? But this is the glory of God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the name above all names. This is the name that heals people. This is the only name that saves people, right? For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You will not be saved any other way except through Jesus, period. You know, we go to doctors. I am not opposed to going to doctors at all. But pray that the Lord will heal you. Pray the Lord will give you wisdom to make wise choices, okay? And then as you go to the doctor, pray that the doctor will have wisdom. If you have to have surgery, pray that the doctors will be skilled and wise, right? Pray the Lord will lead you to believing doctors because he's going to use that skill, but ultimately he's the healer, right? People are struggling with their their sanity today. Um, There's a lot of anxiety in the world today. Jesus heals that, man. People are having panic attacks today. Jesus heals that. Say his name. Say his name and believe that. The glory of God originates and radiates from within Christ because he is one with the Father. While you and I may reflect glory from within, Jesus said to his disciples, you are the light of the world, but that's because we reflect the light. Jesus is the sun. If you're one of his followers, you are the moon. And the moon, the moon is beautiful at night, right? And you can have a very bright full moon that will light the way, but it's not the sun. The S-U-N, in this case, is my metaphor for the S-O-N. And that's who we need to have in our lives, illumining our darkness. Amen? All right, so next week we'll be, and uh, we'll start in verse 7. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight, and thank you guys for joining us.